Gratitude That's my everyday Have you ever looked up at the stars and just wondered what it all means? Asking yourself, how do we get here and where are we going? When I look out in the world, I see so many people getting lost in their stories, rarely thinking about or asking the bigger, unanswerable questions of the universe. Like, what's the purpose of life? How did we come to be? And what happens when we die? Well, this is pretty much all I think about. And so I decided to start asking others as well. Welcome to Quantum Coffee. I think we kind of mess up when we think that the, the map is the territory. It's just the map. It's just a way for us to maybe a pointing for us to, to get somewhere, but it's just the pointing. And we are the mystics, you know? I mean, I think that's what most people don't realize, that you can have the mystical experience just like Jesus. You can have the mystical experience just like the Buddha, that you have everything within you, that you are it. You know, it's not out there. It's not in some teaching that you are it. That was Dr. Mike, one of my good friends, and actually one of the reasons I started this podcast. He is a regular on the show. And this is, I think, the third time I've sat down with him. Uh, it's a long one. We really dive deep. And this is probably one of my favorite conversations I've, I've had, not only with him, but with anybody, especially on this podcast. Um, and he was one of the reasons I started this podcast in the first place, because of all the amazing conversations we'd have. And it all stemmed when we first sat down, when I was visiting him in New York, had a cup of coffee, and started talking about the universe. And... We have these conversations, um, if not you know, every other week, uh, probably almost every week we have these conversations and they are so amazing. He's one of the wisest souls I know. And this one is one of my favorites. It's uh, a little bit long form. Uh, we talk about everything from the universe, the state of where the world is at, uh, spiritual beings. We talk about religion, uh, our journeys with religion, different philosophies. We talk about plant medicines, both of our calls to go do ayahuasca. Um, Dr. Mike's an amazing man. He's one of my favorite humans. And every time I talk to him, I learn so much. And I know you guys will too. Enjoy this week's episode. So tell me about your friend. Yeah, so I was saying uh, on, a, on a similar note, a friend of mine who is very, you know, more religious in the Catholic sense, um, but he, he, sincerely, you know what I mean? It, he's sincerely trying to connect with something higher and connect with God and he prays and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And uh, he was always looking at something that's outside of himself, you know? Uh, yeah, and then he connected me last week, and he was like, I just realized something. He goes, you know, I'm praying all this time to something that's, you know, out there. And he goes, and it's all in my heart, like it's all inside. So now, I'm, mm. so now he's saying I'm turning the prayer around inside. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah, no, and that's what, I'm, that's what I you know, talk about with your dad is just that, you know, 
you're where you're at until you're not there anymore. You know what I mean? And yeah. and then it changes and it, and it, it grows and expands and your, and your faith and awareness changes. And who knows when that's going to be? Or who knows what's going to cause that trigger? And you can't. I know. It's like I keep to keep telling myself that like I'm not gonna I'm not gonna give up hope. I've come to a, a place where I have a lot more compassion and love during these conversations, and I think my dad does too. And we actually connect through it, which is really actually a beautiful experience. But I just I, I'm just I'm so looking forward to, it and I want to experience that that moment when it's just like aha, like and just see him kind of soften to into a you know a wider lens or just kind of understand and. Maybe it won't happen in this lifetime, but you know, I'm just I'm just having discussions with them, and it's weird because I can see my mom and my dad like they've grown so much in the last year or two, and I think that has something to do, obviously, with my ability to receive their love, which reopens that connection. But you know, growth for them isn't fully understanding or widening their, their lens like super. It's just even just being able to have a conversation with my dad about it. Like there's so much growth for him in that because he used to be really closed off and we we wouldn't even be able to have an open dialogue about any of this stuff. But now we can actually discuss stuff and there's conversation and we're connecting over it. And I see that and I just, when I'm in it, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is so beautiful. Like I get to really reconnect with my dad and this is what I've always wanted just to be able to have conversations with them and love them through it. And it's, there's not as much internal resistance and triggers on my end because I've done my own healing through that. And so I'm just like trying to continue to share. And I think the more we talk about it, just trying to, but it's, it's wild how these beliefs can really get their, their teeth in us, you know? And like, it's, I don't, I'm just fascinated. Like, where does it, where does it come from? Right? Like when, where does it start? <laughs> as soon as you're born. <laughs> well, maybe yeah, before you're programming. born, who knows? Or maybe before you're born, you come in with, with a certain energetic makeup, uh, and it just grows from there. And, you know, and you've done enough medicine work to know that, you know, you have some stuff that could possibly come from, uh, from past lives or through, through the generations or some generational trauma that you have to deal with. So, yeah, it's wild how there's, I mean, there's so many layers to it, right? There's our childhood trauma. Our, you know, you don't even have to label it as trauma, but are just the, the stories that were programmed into us from society and our parents and just the way we think we're supposed to be in this life. Then we got possibly past lives, energetic makeup stuff that we have to process that we, you know, what, what spiritual teachings call karma. Then we got our physiological like genes passed down from our actual ancestors in this physical realm that is actually proven to be impacted and passed it down through generations. And so there's like different, so many different layers of like, we're getting like just bombarded from all these different stories. It's like, yeah, no wonder you kind of, I guess you kind of have to have some compassion for yourself and for others <laughs> that it's not such an easy journey, right? No, no. That's why I, I have come through a lot of this, you know, very non judgmental of people and feeling that, you know, everybody's just doing the best they can with the tools that they have. And, and, in every given moment. And according to some people, it might say that, yeah, but they're failing or they're falling short or look at how they're acting. But, you know, I still think that giving all these factors, like you said, genetic, 
uh, generational uh, childhood, potential past lives, all coming out, and then you have to face this reality, whatever's happening in this in this crazy reality, and and it's not easy. It's not easy, and we have to have compassion. I I, I like to say, don't judge, understand. So. Mm. I try not to judge people. I try to understand. I try to hear their stories. I like to, I mean, I love stories. I love people's histories and backgrounds and where they come from and, and their differences and their uniqueness and their uh, idiosyncrasies. I love hearing all that. And that would make, that's what makes everybody so different and unique and, and interesting. Even if, you know, their stories might, fall short in some people's eyes. It's still a beautiful story. Yeah, that's really what makes this experience, right? That's all we really have is our stories. And our stories make us who we are, and it's how we communicate as humans. Yeah. Yeah, unfortunately, I've, I haven't found another way to, to, to communicate. I mean... You can't communicate telepathically. Come on. You can't communicate telepathically. I think you can I really it's just not as clear right now. We just need to work on it. And maybe it's a, something that we can kind of work towards in the future. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think we've lost that capability. And I, I, I do believe that in some cultures and maybe some traditional Amazonian cultures or, or, or native cultures, they can communicate telepathically on the regular. Um, and, you know, I've had uh, telepathic communications on, you know, medicine journeys where it was as clear as day, you know, mind to mind, talking, communicating. Uh, obviously, I wasn't in, you know, the everyday state. You know, I was in a medicine state, but it, if it's possible there, why isn't it possible in, in everyday reality? It's just an, another aspect of consciousness, right? Yeah. It's like one of those things when it's like you think about someone and right before they text you, it's like that's like a subtle realization that that is possible right like that like i mean that happens so often to me and like the synchronicities of life it's like that's can't be coincidental so is there a way to like harness that right i mean i think there is again i'm not an expert on this but it literally happened to me yesterday i was talking about a friend of mine to uh one of the uh, other instructors like you know for people listening i i teach uh at nyu uh one day a week so i was talking to this other instructor about a friend of mine and literally three minutes later this guy texted me and i haven't spoken to, to him in you know months so yeah that's just one of those strange synchronicities where something happens in the universe and and reaches out and connects to another person what it is i have no idea but i think it's it's real i think it exists and i think you know in a lot of traditional cultures, they could still do it. It would be nice, right? It would be nice to speak telepathically. Yeah, I, it would. But you can, like, you know, you can walk into the room and read the energy of a room or uh, or sense somebody's feelings. I mean, that's kind of a, a, a telepathy, I think. Yeah, the energetics, right? Well, yeah. So how would, we, how would we train that? Like, what is the, what is the way to really go down that path? <laughs> It's like the path of a mystic, huh? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think I think the way to train it is to go down a path <laughs> that has some sort of history, and using that as as uh, as a 
a basis of learning and, and communicating. You know, for example, you know, if you want to, you know, learn something like that, maybe you go to a tribe in the Amazon and learn from them. I mean, I think I think without without the the map, it'd be hard to to hit the hit the target on the territory. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah, there's traditions that have been studying this kind of stuff for thousands of years, and you find the right one that resonates. It's, you can't start from scratch not knowing, right? I mean, I think you can maybe stumble onto it, but it's it's hard to train for baseball and then jump onto the football field. You know? Yeah, yeah. That's so, a great analogy. I love sports analogies. Yeah. <laughs> I had I had one of my buddies on um, who played center for the Chargers. His name's Nick Hardwick. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a great episode if anybody wants to go check it out. But he used so many football analogies to explain spirituality. And some of them I've never heard before. And it was like, it was so amazing. Like one of them was um, this idea of, I asked him the question, like, what do you think happens when you die? And he was like, well, you know, we have, we have these games on Sunday, right? So like our lifetime is, is a game. And then he's like, I like to think that when the game is over, we kind of go back into the meeting room and we study the game. We see what we did right, what we did wrong. And we're, we're still, we're still, the essence of us is still there, but we're not like competing right in the game. He's like, then the next week there's another game. So we go into the game. I was like, that's so amazing. The, that the way you just described that. Fucking great. That is awesome, man. Isn't that good? Right? And yeah. He had a few of them like that. You know, and you think of, of this as something that ends and then potentially nothing, but you know, whatever ends and then is nothing like you know, you, you watch a movie, it ends, but there's always another movie, right? Well, yeah. you, you know. I like it. I read this analogy, like, literally, I think last night in this in this book I was reading, it was like, if you're watching TV, like, this is, I mean, it's known scientifically that our visible spectrum of light, like, visible light that our eyes see is, like, the tiniest sliver. I think it's 0.005%. I guess that'd be a fifth of a percent um, of actual what's happening around us. And Mm -hmm. so it's like the analogy was if you're watching TV and you change the channel, the other channel disappears. Like it's not there anymore, but it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. It's still there. You can tune into it. Yeah. I was like, that's so so great. Like you can change the channels. And so it's like, of course, there's different channels of reality happening simultaneously to ours. But people are so stuck in this materialistic view of life that it's of reality that is so physical and like. We, this is all that exists and, you know, it's just some accident, the big bang, and now it's created consciousness, but there's like, it's such a kind of narrow view of reality. Right. And there is these different dimensions and like learning how to tap into those. Like, I, I don't know what, what, how we can train that. I don't know if it's possible. I know there's like stories about intuitives accessing different things. I mean, talk about aliens coming in and going out like UFOs. Like there's so many different, I don't know. Yeah, but you can't. There's a lot going on. You can't. I mean, there's plenty of people that see like subtle realms. Like we might see the the you know everyday reality, which is super impactful, right? Reality is like really, really, really impactful. You could touch it, you could hear it, you could feel it. It's so detailed, right? It's, it's so detailed and, and and beautiful and wonderful and sometimes scary and frightening and traumatic, but. You know, there's people that see uh, subtle realms, like uh, almost like a layer on top of this where there's angelic beings and, you know, angels and this and that. And there's people that actually see this, you know, they can tune into something subtler. And, you know, I, I, 
you know, I cannot doubt their experience. I'm experiencing this, you know, I'm experiencing sitting here holding my quantum coffee cup, drinking coffee with you, you know, and if I told my friend, yes, I was, I was with, you know, talking to my friend Joe over Zoom and uh, we're talking about subtle realities and he'd be like, I didn't see it. I don't believe you. I'm like, but no, I swear to God, I was talking to Joe. He's in Texas and I don't, I don't believe you, but it happened. Like, how can he doubt my experience and my reality? If, yeah. And how can we doubt somebody that sees on a consistent basis, these subtle realms? And, you know, I have, uh, you know, I have a, you know, my life has always been kind of strange and interesting, but I have patients that are, are mediums. Like one of my patients is a very famous medium in, in the area. And she comes into my, my office on a routine basis and, and see spirits and ghosts and, and, and stuff like that, that I don't see and talks to them. And like my grandfather will come through while I'm talking to her. And, you know, this is something that I don't experience personally, but you know, she's experienced it on the regular and how can I doubt her, her reality? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's why I, I had that realization the other, cause I, you know, working with plant medicines now um, and going into these ceremonies and I, I don't usually, I've had a few really powerful experiences, but I usually don't have these like really profound visual experiences in these kind of medicine journeys like some people do. And I, I actually just uh, got back from one uh, last week, uh, a peyote ceremony. And, you know, some people, their, their experience shares in the integration circles are... They're very profound. They're having very intense experiences and they, they're seeing, you know, beings like you're talking about. And I don't usually have that. And especially in everyday life. And it is easy for you to be like, that, that's, there's no way that's true. Like, how come I can't access it? But then you're right. Like when you understand, like it's their experience, like they don't know my experience. I, how can I even, how can I fault their experience? Right. And especially when there's, I mean, there's so much data out there and so many people who have shared their experience. Like I've read so many books of people. There is so much shared experience through the collective of these kind of things happening. So it's, it's, it's wild how there's so many people out there that do doubt it. And it's like they're, they have this narrow vision of reality and they're so attached. And I just wonder where that, where that comes from, right? And how to, I mean, I guess it's just having an open mind. Yeah, I mean, I know for some people it's fear. You know, fear mm. will keep them from having those experiences. You know, it's it's just they don't want to step that far out on the ledge, right? I know plenty of people like that. I mean, the easiest way to have an experience an experience that's going to bring you to a place where you potentially could see spirits is a medicine journey. I mean, it's just you drink a cup of ayahuasca. I don't want to hear more about your peyote too, but and you enter a different realm and, and a lot of times there it is. Right. But yeah, it's scary for some people to lose their sense of self or their sense of ego and, and to lose their sense of what reality really is. You know, they're so, uh, you know, attached to this 3d physical reality that the possibility of being anything else or experiencing anything else is super scary. I know people. Yeah. Plenty, That's why a lot of people are scared of psychedelics, right? And this this idea of a quote unquote bad trip, it might not necessarily be a bad trip, but it's the ego trying to hang on because when you take psychedelics, it it deconstructs the story of who you think you are and that you've been attached to for so long, 
And that's really scary to the ego. But once you can transcend that, you realize, I mean, you're always going to come back to this reality and you're going to understand, like, you're going to see it from a wider lens of, I am not the story of who I think I am. There's like something that's happening that's deeper, right? And I think that's a lot of, that's really scary for people to detach from that because it is debilitating, right? Especially if you've been so attached to a story, like we're talking about my dad earlier and his belief in Christianity. And that's, I have so much compassion for that because I can't expect him to just totally throw that belief away. And we can have conversations and I can try and be loving and compassionate and have, try and guide him through questioning, you know, deeper, like asking deeper questions. But if I just gave him a cup of ayahuasca and that just got dissolved instantly, I mean, I can't imagine how debilitating that would be, but it could be super enlightening as well, right? Yeah, it might could go the other way too. You don't know. You know, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's it's crazy. I think the fear is like what keeps people from wanting to, from pursuing and experiencing that. And it's fascinating how our society, you know, we're luckily we're just getting to this point where a lot more science and studies are coming out on the power of psychedelic plant medicines in helping some of these, you know, mental illnesses that are kind of going crazy rather than, you know, using these natural remedies. And um, but it's crazy our society has like demonized collectively and like put this story in her head that they're dangerous and that they're they're that you have a bad trip and they're scary and it's it's you know it's really wild how it's been so imprinted on us yeah yeah and and, and listen there might be some you know reasonable aspects to that too because you know and again i'm no expert on this so i'm, I'm not you know everything. Whenever you're putting anything on and recording something, like, you're always worried about people. Like especially now, what's going on? Like people, like no, oh, that's wrong. You're saying something wrong. But I think there, there at, at some point in the '60s and '70s, it, it was being used so widely that yeah, there was some dangerous aspects to it, and some people were having some some problems for sure. Um, you know, but I think that's why you know, using it safely and set and setting was such an important aspect of, of, you know, some of the messages that, that, that were being sent out in the sixties. You hear a lot about set and setting. I think that's super important and having people around you that's, that can keep you safe. So, yeah, you know, having a huge difference between doing it recreationally and doing it in a ceremonial container with the proper guides, integration tools, I mean, because everything I've learned getting into this work over the last couple of years is like 99% of any kind of medicine journey that you do in a ceremonial space with a proper intention going into it to really dive deep into the deeper parts and stories of who you are and, and looking for answers from these different kind of realms and spaces. 99% of that journey is all about the integration and how you bring that back into your everyday life and make some positive changes from it. Otherwise you know, what's, what's the point? I mean, I guess it's, it's, you know, some people are just psychonauts and they love exploring the cosmos, which is, we need those explorers, right? Like there's not really anywhere else, anywhere left to explore on, on this planet. So there's a lot of people that want to explore the cosmos, but yeah, I mean, it's a fine line to finding balance and really using it as a tool. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, what's important, whatever your practice is, whether it be meditation or, uh, jiu-jitsu or martial arts or medicine practice you know you have a practice and then you you have these areas of growth along the practice but you know you really have to you know have the practice you have to have that realization but then you have to actualize it into your life i mean what does it mean if you're not 
showing up every day, you know, a, a different, more compassionate person or change from, from the experience in a way that you're affecting the change in the world. You know, I mean, you could have these experiences and then go back to your job and still be a fucking dick, right? Mm. I mean, what good is that then? It's just a story of an experience. Yeah. And I think there's this, this also this subtle way that, you know, people have these either spontaneous awakening or they go into a medicine journey and come back. And when their ego comes back into play, it, it kind of attaches to this idea that it knows, right? It's the ego that knows and it, and, and it's very subtle the way it can kind of attach onto this awakened state and think it's either better than, or it needs to save. And I think that's, you know, this whole kind of woke culture is kind of leaning towards that. And it's fascinating to see people who, you know, they get a little bit of a savior complex and like the, the world's getting destroyed. And it's, you know, there's, there's even a wider lens than that of like, if, if you believe that it's all connected and we're all one, then this experience is all exactly how it's supposed to be. There's, you know, there's, everybody's here to learn their own lessons. There's no, I think this is a big step for me is like, I don't, I don't need to feel responsible for other people's journeys, right? Just having compassion and love for them is all that is needed. And that's, you know, having humility, right? Yeah. I mean, I think that's, that's a huge thing. Humility and and being humble. You know, you'll see a lot of, like you said, a lot of people come back from these medicine journeys and like, I have the answer. I will save the world. I'm going to save humanity. And it's great to help, help humanity for sure. But to intentionally change other people's minds into believing what you what you believe, I think is is kind of tenuous ground. I mean, you've seen, I mean, you've seen it throughout history, right? You know, trying to, you know, Christian missionaries traveling the world and trying to change the minds of natives who had these beautiful practices, uh, and it's just this becomes this weird, strange, strange thing. And you'll see other people that come back from these experiences totally humbled by them, you know, and realizing mm-hmm. that how small we are and how really connected we are and how how kind of blessed we are to be here and have this experience. And it's not about changing other people. It's about your own inner transformation. You know, I had a, you know, when I was in uh, Guatemala, I think this was two years ago. I go to Guatemala quite frequently. It's one of my favorite places in the world. Um. I was in one of these uh, little Mayan villages around Lake Atitlan, and I was uh, going through one of these churches, and it was around Easter time. And uh, in Guatemala, they have these huge, amazing Easter processions where they carry these big, I don't know, floats with Jesus and all these saints and everything on it. It's it's really, really dramatic and quite beautiful. Mm -hmm. Uh, But, you know, in those, in that culture also, it's, it's interwoven their traditional culture. So it's, you have these, you know, these Western, you know, gods like saints and Jesus, but they're all like shaped more like Mayan people. You know what I mean? And more in the image of the Mayan wow. people. Yeah. And, and, you know, you, there's these professions, processions, but then there's also these ceremonies by shamans. So there's these two different cultures kind of like existing simultaneous and kind of interwoven in this in this strange interesting way um and i thought it was kind of uh, super interesting you know and that's that's where they are right now but 
you know, and that's the result of, you know, people trying to change the beliefs of other people to believe what, what they think, you know? Where does that stem from? Because, like, I mean, why? I mean, I've read some books, and it's, they're, like, a while ago, so it's not super fresh in my mind, but this idea that, like, the idea of the, the missionary and trying to convert people into the one and only way when, I mean, we're really all talking about the same thing. Like, what makes it my God is the only God and your God is not, but we're talking about the same thing, which is this divine experience, this ineffable mystery of life. And we're trying to create this connection to it, especially with indigenous people who are way more connected than any of us can even imagine. And they're, you know, it's just the idea that we need to change that rather than having this acceptance of we're, we're, we're talking about the same thing. Like you and I are, you know, same, same, but yeah. different. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, that's the definition of the mystic or the mystical experience is the realization that, you know, you and I are not the same, but at the same time, we're totally connected that we are the same. It's just that, that, that paradox or, you know, I'm not earth, I'm not the earth, but I'm not separate from the earth or, you know, something like that's that. That's a great way to, that's a great place to start because you know, a lot of people are stuck in this, this idea and that's, that's kind of a bridge, right? Cause we are, we are not like this body didn't just come and just poof into this reality. Like we literally, what we eat becomes who we are and you're a baby grown from your mother. And then when you die, we usually bury dead bodies and then we go back to the earth. And so, you know, on a scientific level, we are literally atoms made up of the same material from the stars so we are literally connected and there's this illusion of separation. It's like I read somewhere and this is really powerful to me and it's you kind of, it's a little bit it's kind of the next step of understanding that is if you know a tree a tree might look like a tree and it might look separate from everything around it but the tree has roots that go into the ground and the tree would not be there if it was not for the air around it and the sky it would not be there if it wasn't for the rain that watered it. So the tree cannot exist by itself as a tree. The tree is intimately connected to everything around it, and it requires all that stuff. But there's this illusion that the tree is this separate thing. And I think by our linear thinking minds, labeling it as a tree creates a story around what a tree is so we don't actually see it. And that's like when we label stuff, we immediately create a separation. It's like, even on another deeper level past that is when we, I have a name. So you call me Joe, you label me. That means I'm different than you, Mike. And then that Joe, every time you think of Joe, you have a story of who Joe is in your mind. And your story of who I am is different than the story of who I, of who <laughs> I think I am. And then there's all these different, you know, phases of who Joe was throughout his life. And I'm constantly changing. And like, once you widen that lens, you can, you know, kind of all starts to make sense. But I guess it is, you kind of got to start somewhere. I think the earth thing is a really good place to start because it's really easy to understand. Like when we die, we go back into the earth. But what does make us separate? Or what is that experiencer, right? Where does that come from? That is something that is, that's the great mystery. Yeah, that's the great mystery. That's the, that's the, that's consciousness. That's the spark of life. You know, um, where it comes from, 
I don't know. I don't know. Does anybody know where that, where that spot comes from? What is Let me ask it? you a question. Is it the chicken or the egg argument? Is is did the did consciousness evolve because the universe led to it being us becoming aware, or is the universe exist because there's consciousness to observe it? <laughs> Maybe both. Who the hell knows? Yeah, <laughs> I, yeah right. Oh man. <laughs> you know, I want to just bend our minds a little bit, I, it, and that's. I know. I think these are the unanswerable questions, but they're unanswerable only until you have a potential experience, right? That could, you know, give you some hints at those questions. You know, I was on a, 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 you know, medicine journey where I got to experience total perfect oneness, love, you know, what you would, what you would think is, you know, unity or unity consciousness. And I didn't exist there. Like Mike didn't exist. It was just, you can't, it's ineffable. I can't even talk about what it was like, or, or it was just the most perfect, beautiful love heaven with anything that you would experience. The only thing is, I most would, people like when you say that, most people would think that's a scary thing because I don't exist there. So explain a little bit about that. I know you said it's a little bit ineffable to even try to comprehend, but what is that like to be one but not be fear feared of not even existing? Because it was just pure love. You know, there was nobody there to fear it. You understand what I'm saying? The ego wasn't there. The ego was mm. gone. And, and I, the ego is the one that gets scared, and right? And the ego is the one that gets scared and because the ego is mm. the, the, the one that fears its own demise and its own destruction. But the, the funny thing was when I split off from it, it was like, it was almost like my first thought split from that. And that's when I realized what that was. You follow me? Mm. Like when you're in it, you're in it. It's until you get out of it that you realize that was it, you know? Mm. And then it's like once that's it's like this idea of, of, of remembering and forgetting. And then you don't remember that you forgot until you remember again. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it was, it was wild. But when I kind of split from that, and then it was like, you know, in the, in the, the, the Buddhist traditions, they say the one becomes the 10,000 things. It was like the one became the 10,000 things. It was like the first thought and then, and then everything kind of, you know, fractaled out after that to reality. And uh, I was like, I want to go back there, you know, but <laughs> it was just the most. So how do we get thing. back there? Is it is it is that what you enlightenment is, or is that even like just so. an experience? I don't know. That, yeah. listen, that was just a. It's just the story of an experience I had in an, an ayahuasca uh, ceremony. That's not my everyday experience, obviously, but it gives you. It, it gave me a hint at you know it was consciousness, and then it was the splitting off for me, the splitting off from that consciousness that created this reality. You follow me? Is that where we go back when we die to that oneness? Or uh, is it still other realms of passing through? And that was just an experience you had to experience at one time, but there's still this journey that we go on, you know? Yeah, I don't, I don't, I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't, maybe that's where, I, you know, and I'm thinking at some point, you know, there is 
an essence that that travels with us. You know, maybe not the exact memories of every moment of our lives, but there's the essence of of who we are and the lessons that we learn and kind of our level of 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 growth from our, our lifetimes that travels, you know, with us after we after we pass. Maybe we enter that oneness for a little bit. Maybe we experience that, and then maybe we split off from that again. You know, I'll I'll find out someday. I think so. Will you? <laughs> but right. But uh, yeah. Getting back to that point, so of with the chicken and and the egg. So you know, for me. You know, there was consciousness and then it was the splitting off from consciousness, unity consciousness that creates the world that, that, that we live in. And that's, that's kind of all I could say about that from my experience. Um, but I don't know. Man. You had that in ayahuasca, right? And so you, you've, you've shared this story with me about your Adi Ashanti retreat where you had a similar experience where you're kind of just... I don't know if it was similar in the sense, I think it's similar in the sense that your ego kind of dissolved and you were kind of in this oneness, but you didn't have actually any substance in you, right? What Explain that a little bit more. Yeah. So, it, yeah, with that experience, it was kind of uh, an ego dissolution for sure. Yeah, so I was just, you know, hanging out in Tahoe. I went to a, a, a retreat with a friend of mine who was a, kind of a big fan of, of Adi Ashanti and uh, it was a week-long retreat. Tahoe is beautiful. I love Tahoe. It's, I figured the worst case scenario, I can like hang out in Tahoe the, at a resort by the pool. And I was just chilling, listening to Adi Ashanti talk and all of a sudden something he said just flipped my brain. I had this kind of Kundalini experience where the energy kind of went up my, my spine and out through the top of my head and I was gone. Like literally I was gone. So Mike Ricciotti didn't exist. Do you remember anymore. what he said in that moment? Yeah. Like he was talking about thoughts and he was kind of like edging in. He's like, and look at your thoughts. Like, where did they come? Like, where did they come from? Like, who's thinking that? Where does that, where did that thought come from? And he was just bringing you back and back and back, you know, where you're observing and then he'll bring you back a little bit further to where like who's observing. And then like, I guess I was following his point is not even realizing it. And then like, I don't know, bam, I was gone. Then you become the one thought, right? So I became the no thought. The no thought. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. And it was, uh, it was very impactful. I was, yeah, I didn't, it was probably a, a, a couple of hours that I was in that state before any thought of who I was kind of came through, like my, my name or, you know, I was, you know, sitting there eating lunch and I had to watch people to see what they were doing, how they were eating their food, you know, because I was just kind of like in oneness with everything. So I didn't, you didn't even know, remember how to eat your food. I, I didn't even know how to eat my food. I didn't even know how to eat my food until, uh, you know, the ego. And this is a silent, a silent retreat, right? This is a silent retreat. Yeah. So, so nobody's, you can't explain this, this kind of experience to anybody. You're just in it. No, I was just like, I need help. (laughs) Yeah. Well, yeah. Later on in the day, this is actually quite a funny story. 
because yeah, I'm having all this like Kundalini energy go through my body. I'm like super, like super buzzed. And my, my ego started coming back a little bit because it was like, wait, I have a name. Like, what's my name? And then I started to piece my, my psyche back together, like kind of go throughout my life and almost like put these pieces back together so it could, everything kind of reconnect again. Uh, but the kind of Kundalini was just so strong that later on in the day, I went up to, uh, there was like a line of people asking questions, not to Adi Shanti, but actually to his wife. Her name is Mukti. And uh, I was in like this completely altered state. It could have been, I could have been on a medicine for sure. Like it was that, it was that powerful. It was that altered. And my friend who I went on this retreat with was like online in front of me. And I'm thinking like, wow, man, maybe he's having a similar experience that I am like, and he's, <laughs> right. So I'm, I'm, I'm thinking that, and he goes up and asks her a question and I was able to hear his question. <laughs> and he goes, you know, I've always wanted to be a multi-orgasmic man. <laughs> <laughs> and I just burst out like that was like that relieved like my tension I just burst out laughing I was just like at that moment that's like exactly what I needed you know yeah. <laughs> he's like lighten the mood a little bit lighten the mood he's like how do I become the multi-orgasmic man I'm like what the fuck kind of question is that he's asking how do you Shanti's wife how to become a multi-orgasmic male <laughs> and my ego's told I don't even know what an orgasm is right now yeah I don't, like, I don't even know I don't have a body <laughs> <laughs> so I was able to ask her, you know, you know, talk about the experience a little bit and a little bit about the Kundalini. She's explained that, you know, it's the Kundalini that kind of rises up and, and to do some grounding practices. And then that she'll, uh, they'll go through, through some Qigong, uh, practices like in the morning and stuff. So I was like, all right. So I, I, so I basically, I know I've been doing Tai Chi and Qigong for a long time. So, so I basically spent the next four or five days just grounding myself. I was doing a lot of Tai Chi and Qigong. I was walking through the woods. I was in nature. I would go down by the pool. I would, I would, uh, I would swim in the, in the pool. So water is very cleansing and healing and, and grounding also. So I was spending a lot of time in nature, a lot of time at the pool. At the same time, I was kind of grounding my ego and grounding this experience back in my body, re reintegrating my ego with my, you know, with my self again, you know, cause it was just the veil of the ego. I kind of saw it through the whole ego construct, how it's just totally constructed from the time we were born and, you know, throughout our life. And that, and it's really just a construct that it really doesn't exist. Like the veil was like super, super thin. Um, like the cool thing, I was able to, you know, go through different experiences of my life, you know, especially some experiences that I could have considered traumatic and, and see them from, from the conditioning of all the people involved, right, which was interesting. So mm -hmm. I was able to see the conditioning of this person that brought them to this place, how they acted in this way. Understand? Yes, and that's really important right there for people that are listening because that one, you know, you're hearing about, this, this healing work or healing childhood trauma or how do I heal myself 
that's it right there, right? Is and that's what these these psychedelic medicines help you do is like it's it's about widening the lens and seeing the 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 thing that is done to you is not it's not done to you as a person. It's it's through the the hurt or the trauma of another that is passed on and it's this kind of perpetual cycle. And when you can wind the lens out like that and see that it's these these stories that we're living, these ego constructs that are created from, you know, and that's why we talk about healing like, you know, lineage trauma, collective trauma. Um, you know, like there's still like, energy that's still being passed down from like, I mean, the world, the world wars were only less than a hundred years ago. Like that's still a collective energy that we need to heal from. Right. So there's all those different levels. So yeah, it's really beautiful. Talk a little bit more about that. Yeah. I mean, cause I literally had to put my psyche back together and that sounds strange to some people, but when the ego construct shatters, then <laughs> somehow you got to if you're going to interact with the world right you have to have something there that's interacting with the world right you know obviously when this initial uh experience happened i didn't even know how to what food was or how to eat like i had to watch people to do it i almost have to like relearn that so you know part of this journey during this week was like putting these patterns back together and and and, and seeing them so yeah, it was a, a, a huge gift. It was almost like, you know, I, I, like this weird psychic, psychic awareness for a little while where as I was kind of putting the, the patterns together back in my, in, my, in, my, in my mind, in my ego, I was able to relive these experiences, but relive them almost through the lens of all the different people involved. So, you know, whether it be a friend or a parent or, or whatever, you know, I kind of saw everything that, that they went through that brought them to that point that made them act in that way. And that helped me just have so much compassion for the whole situation. Like, this isn't this person's fault that they're acting like this. It's not. It's, it's, it's you know, it's the conditioning. It's, the tr- it's their own personal trauma. It's their, it's their own personal history. It's, it's, like you said, talking about generational trauma. It's how their grandfather treated them or how their father was and, and, and and they're trapped in this, this this construct. You know, I mean, when you when you grow up, it's like it's like you you are put in this cage by all the conditioning that 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 you're in. You know, and it's like this cage. And then like you you grow up and you start to interact with the world with all this this conditioning on top of you. But then by interacting with the world, you create another cage on top of that. So you're you're you know, because of your fears and, and all this kind of thing. So you have this cage that's given to you through your conditioning, and then you add more layers on top of that cage by your interaction with the world and all of your fears. And I was able to kind of see, you know, how people are just acting and reacting out of fear and just causing this lineage of, of, of trauma. And it's nobody's fault, really, but... It, it just happens, unfortunately. And I'm not saying that I'm, I'm perfect by any means. I haven't gone through this experience. I mean, I, I, you know, I'm fully, I would say I've integrated that experience now over the, over the past couple of years. And I interact with, with the world in a, I would say more of a fully embodied way. 
but it's, you know, my ego is there and I'm still, you know, recreating these things. I'm not interacting with everybody as perfectly as I would like to. And, you know, maybe I'm saying something to somebody that might trigger something in them and cause them to trigger something in somebody else. And it's just this direct path of, of karma that leads down. And it's, it's, it was an interesting gift to be able to receive that. It was scary at times for sure having to go through this, but it was a blessing in ways to be able to see the, the lineage of trauma and the conditioning that leads to these, these actions taken by people. And it's just able to have so much compassion for everybody in the situation because everybody's literally trying their best in any, any given situation. Yeah. How was that? How was that experience? Like, was that probably, where would you rate that on? Like, most profound experiences of your life and how is that something you can access now or is it just something that you can i mean i'm sure like the experience of those kind of things it's i mean that's why we explain these experiences in metaphors right because it's hard to share what it was actually like is it something you can access and you remember viscerally or is it just you remember the lessons and that's how you integrate it and that's why you still kind of struggle now is it something that you can like access yeah so i mean i can't I haven't been able to, and to be honest with you, I haven't tried to access that that initial kind of, whether you call it awakening or not, I don't know what you want to call it, of ego, uh, ego shattering. I haven't tried to access it, and it hasn't happened since. But what I can access and what I, I really have embodied is is the ability to try and understand that the way people act is based on their previous conditioning and that they're really, really just doing the best they can and try to understand. And that's what changes everything, right? Yeah. And, and try to understand where they come from. Try to like, uh, you know, not try to understand meaning like, so why did you do this? Why, you, or why do you think you do this? But like, listen to a little bit of this story, find a little bit, you know, find out about the person a little bit, you know? Like be present, right? And really receive who yeah. they are and where they're coming from. And that just what I've learned is being able to offer that to people is 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 so healing to them. Because in our world, our fast-paced society, our culture with cell phones and so much to do and busyness, it's and and even like even people that are listening to this, notice next time you have a conversation. If you're in your mind thinking about how you want to respond, or are you totally present listening to that person's story? And there's such a difference. And it might not, it might not feel like a big difference to you because you're like, they can't see my thoughts. But the energetic presence that you can offer when you are totally clear in receiving what they're saying, they're, they can feel it. And I've seen people feel it. And when you can be present with someone, there's so much healing power in that. And I think going back to what we were talking about early and and I've been so fascinated with Jesus and his teachings as the man and the mystic and like his actual what he was trying to offer the world and I believe that's really what it was was this loving presence and even Ramdas talks about it like I am loving presence and that means being present like it, it that's the loving energy you can offer somebody and it is so powerful and I think that's real power when you can harness that and show up and be present for others like it's just such a gift because not not a lot of people can can offer that to people. And when you can learn to, it will change your entire life. And you'll find more compassion, more openness, more surrender, more gratitude for everything that happens. Yeah, I mean, we're all in this together, right? We're all like, mm. and I think it's 
Ram Dass has said, we're all just welcoming each other home. And mm. that's one of my favorite Beautiful. quotations of all time because it's, we're, he, we're, you know, we are not each other, but at the same time, we're not separate from each other. We are not the earth, but at mm. the same time, we are not separate from the earth. We are just welcoming each other home, you know, and to be fighting and arguing and, and, and battling without trying to understand each other. We want the same thing. Like, you know, we, we all want to be happy. We all want to be loved. You know, we all want the same thing. And, you know, to be that loving presence instead of to be that opposition is the way to heal the world for sure. You know, mm. like, I can't, like you said, you can't change your, anybody's mind or you can't change your dad's mind, but you could be that loving presence, right? Mm. You could be that receptive energy that to have that dialogue to see, you know, where your dad's coming from, you know, with his, his, his Catholic or Christian, Christian beliefs. And that's a beautiful, but we thing. had a whole talk about the difference between the Catholicism and Christianity. So don't mix it up. <laughs> <laughs> what's the, what's the difference? I, I mean, I, I know yeah, so it's, it's, it's a, it's a, I think one of the main things is Catholics. And this is what my dad is telling me is uh Catholics uh, worship mother Mary as a deity as well, which and this is fascinating to me for Christianity. And, and I know there's a bunch of different sects of Christianity. So it's not, and this is just what I grew up in with, you know, obviously my dad and, and what I was taught is that, and this is the conversations I've had with them where I really struggle to understand is they believe, or he believes Christi, Christ, or God, Jesus Christ was God, the one and only God but he was also man. And so there's just like a lot of confusion. It doesn't really make sense to me. there's like, there's God up in heaven, but then Jesus is the one and only God. And so I, I came to this realization that, you know, they they idolize Jesus. It's an, he's, he, they've created an idol through mm-hmm. Jesus. And I like to, when I've widened my lens and I learn about Jesus's man and his actual teachings. And I focus on that. Um, and not the Bible or the teachings, which, you know, history says was created by the church in 300 AD about they got to decide what went in the Bible, what didn't. And then all these Gnostic gospels came out, but those are labeled as not correct because they were decided not to be put in the Bible, but what makes them less correct than the other ones. And if you read those, it actually creates a broader picture of what Jesus's life was actually like. And so to idolize Jesus, if Jesus was here, and that's what I like to think about, like what would happen if Jesus walked in right now like, first of all, we'd be homies, like oh, yeah. my guy, but like, what would he, what would he say? Right. And it's fascinating because when Jesus was alive, he went into the churches of the time and he would flip over in anger and be like, you guys are desecrating the house of God. And to think about if he came and I'm not saying every church is this way, because there's definitely like, like we talk about all the time, if there's a way that you use Christianity to connect with something greater than yourself and you really have an experience of that, that's beautiful. But to intellectualize it and then create fear around it and say that you're wrong, my God is right, your God is wrong. If Jesus came into your church, and like if you go to church, I want you to really ask yourself, if Jesus walked into this church, would he be upset with the teachings? Would he be upset with the way you are living, right? And and would he be seeing you teaching 
what he was teaching or are you teaching about a, a book that was created and decided what went in it and what went wrong to ultimately, I, I feel like it was, it was, it's used to create fear and it's fascinating. You know, I've, I've been learning more about Mary Magdalene and there's this book called Mary Magdalene revealed, which is really beautiful. And it paints a broader picture of Jesus and his relationship with Mary. And I was always told, and I was always taught that, you know, we don't know a lot about Mary Magdalene because she was kind of taken out of the Bible and she's very rarely mentioned in there. And in that book, it talks about how in like 300 AD, when um, the Romans adopted Christianity as the, the church of the state, um, you know, as a patriarchal society. And it's fascinating that that patriarchal society has lasted for hundreds, thousands of years up to this point. We're just finally starting to like wake up from it. They, they said that Mary Magdalene was a prostitute in that moment. And I, it's fascinating. Even the conversation with my dad last night, I was like, let's talk about Mary Magdalene. And I was like, do you know anything about her? And guess what he said? She's a prostitute. She was a prostitute. So that story that they implanted is still alive today. And there's a, there's a gospel of Mary Magdalene that they found with the Gnostic gospels. And it paints such a bigger picture. And Mary Magdalene was such a, huge part of, of Jesus's ministry in that time. And if you, if you really think about if God created man and created man and female, and there's this unity and connection, it's fascinating that Christianity says sex is like a shameful act. And Jesus was this divine being and he didn't have sex, but it doesn't, doesn't align with if God created man in his image that sex wouldn't be this beautiful piece of the puzzle of this experience. And what I've learned is when you can connect with the female with total presence, there is this beautiful energy, this divine creative energy. And that's what a lot of the Eastern philosophies talk about. Right. And yeah, so it's just, it's just, it's really fascinating. I just went on a tangent there, but that's. Yeah, no, it was a good mm -hmm. tangent though. But yeah, I mean, oh, I, I mean, I, I think, you know, what, what some people have to realize is like, Jesus wasn't a Christian, you know, yes. like he wasn't a Christian. Jesus was Jesus. He was a mystic, you know, in the Siddhartha Gautama, the Buddha, he wasn't a Buddhist, you know, he was a mystic. Yes. And Muhammad, you know, wasn't a prophet or whatever. The, I don't know much about, I don't, I, unfortunately, I don't know a lot about the Islamic religion, but you know, he was a mystic, you know, these are all, these are all mystics and these are all people that took the, the, the map that was there and explored it and, and connected to God. And they came back with something else, you know, and maybe that, that map wasn't working for them. Right. Like, uh, like the Buddha went out and, you know, he, he mastered every, every tradition that was there. He was an ascetic. He, was the best at meditation. He was the best at starving himself. He, and then he's like, ah, this shit's not working for me. And he kind of just took that map and, you know, went a little bit different way. He started eating some food and sat under a tree until he got his enlightenment. And again, he wasn't a Buddhist, man. He was a mystic. And I think, mm. I think we, we, we kind of, mess up when we think that the, the map is the territory. It's just the map, mm -hmm. you know, it's just, it's just a way for us to maybe uh, 
a pointing for us to, to, to get somewhere, but it's just a pointing. And we are the mystics, you know? I, mean, I think that's, that's what, what most people don't realize is that you can have the mystical experience just like Jesus. You can have the mystical experience just like the Buddha, that you have everything within you, that you are it. You know, it's not out there. It's not in some teaching that you are it. Um, it's like Rumi says, right? You, you are not a drop in the ocean, but you are the ocean in a drop. You are the ocean in a drop. Or you are, you are a wave in the ocean, but at the same time, the whole ocean, you know? Mm. And, you know, to, to have that intellectual knowledge is great, but to go out and have that experiential knowledge is just takes it a notch above and, and that's when you know you can't harm another person or you can't judge another person you know uh, I mean you look at what's going on now and everybody's out buying guns you can't even get a gun now like can't even get ammo right and because people are afraid hmm. people are afraid but if you realize that <laughs> you're looking at you, you know, how can you harm another person? I don't, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. We don't, we need to, it's, it's, it's like, we think we're so evolved. Like we've evolved so much because we have all this technology and this ways to connect and the internet, but we really haven't so much evolved as we have been become more domesticated and it's actually created a lot more divisiveness and and separation and fear right yeah and who knows what's going to come from it you know it's 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 interesting how the technology has created divisiveness you know when when a lot of this was i don't know maybe the original uh intention of it was to create connection right I mean, I'm a little bit older than you, and I, I remember the, the first computers, you know, and you would have a dial-up, <laughs> wow. and we would have these things called BBS or bulletin board systems, and you would connect with your friends over these bulletin board systems through the computer, and you would talk to each other, you know, and it, it, it originally started as this way to connect and evolve, right? But somehow mm -hmm. it's it's turned into this divisive technology that has the potential to evolve us infinitely, but is devolving us into distraction and, and separation, which is quite strange. Well, I, I, what, I mean, I don't want to get too deep into the conspiracy theories unless you want to, because <laughs> I love them. Um, but this idea that the, those in power whoever, you know, quote unquote, they is, it's in their best interest to keep us divided, to keep us in fear. And I like to think even, even like the two party system, creating a binary choice. I mean, it feels to me like it was created that, that we don't actually, there's no actual, nobody actually comes to the table to problem solve and make the world a better place. It's, it's really about what the other sides doing to ruin the world 
which really fascinates me. But it's, you, you know, we're talking about widening this lens. You know, you can start to see that it's in, it's in the people's who are in power's best interest to keep a population divided, to keep a population in fear, to keep a population not having the ability to have an open conversation about what they want their life to look like, to love one another, to be empowered and understand their own divine sovereign right to be and the power that we actually do all have internally when we do go on this spiritual journey and understand that everything is energy. And that's what, you know, quantum physics and spirituality, they're starting to merge. And there's this language that you can use to, to understand these mystical experiences. They're actually starting to see these smaller spaces at the smallest level, atomic level. It is all wave or particle, which is infinite possibility. And there's this unified field that we are all connected in. And I don't know if they who are in power understand this and they understand that they want to stay in power. So and I don't know if it's a sinister thing or if it's just a power thing. I don't know if it's just humans and it's just a system that's gotten out of whack because it's scaled so much and it just, the fear that's in it just perpetuates itself. And we're, you know, like all of us we were talking about earlier, we're born into this system. We're programmed as, as young children. We have our own wounding which creates more fear. So I don't know if it's a system that perpetuates itself or if there's like a elite that is creating this scenario so that they can stay in power and have their own experience. And then obviously there's a lot of different layers of that conspiracy theory, but yeah, I mean, what do you, what do you think? Like what's, what is, how did it get this way? (laughs) Uh, Do you realize what you just asked me? How did the world get this one? <laughs> You're the wisest man I've ever met, uh, Dr. Mike. If you know, then no <laughs> yeah, maybe I'm wise because I say I don't know anything. Um, That's exactly why you're wise. Yeah, I mean, I think I think it's just the ultimate polarity. Like anything could have the power to help, heal, or hurt or harm. And you know, I I feel that you know. It's so easy to flip that switch. You know what I mean? Like, it's so easy to flip that switch and say, all right, fuck this. Let's quit dividing and let's get together. Like, like I think about this all the time. Like, how come? All right, because there's, there's people running this shit, right? There's no doubt about it. There's, mm-hmm. there's people in charge. They're running it. Who they are, I have no idea. But aren't they saying what's going on in the world is fucking crazy and let's like fix this shit and just be happier and healthier for everybody right like aren't like aren't they worried about like their kids and their kids kids and saying if we have all this power let's let's have the power to help and heal the world like it just doesn't make sense to me you know so yeah it doesn't and the resources that we have and the technologies that we have there we should be able to make at least a standard of living for everyone you know, to be able to have an enjoyable experience. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's on this planet Earth. The abundance is here. It's 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 here. It's not like it's yeah. it's not here for everybody to to live an amazing life. You know, and I listen. I, you know, there's going to be hierarchies. I, I I get that. There's going to be people that have a little more, a little less. There's going to be hierarchies, but you know, at least you know, make it a healthy Earth. 
that has the potential for everybody to to live their best possible existence and and create and heal and and I, I don't know like the fact that that you know rainforests are being destroyed and the earth is being destroyed and there's like the people in charge are like all right let's fix this shit you know what i mean like there's got to be a way to fix the shit and still make money right Hundred percent. You know, I'm hundred percent. You know, I'm a dentist. This isn't my area of expertise, but uh, <laughs> you know, I disclaimer. Yeah, disclaimer. I'm just a dentist. <laughs> well, I mean, that's my training, but I still can see that there's got to be a way to, you know, heal the planet and still make a ton of fucking money and everybody live good. There has to be a way. Mm-hmm. So at some point, you know, there's some people that probably decided to create divisiveness and use their power for some sort of negativity instead of helping and healing, you know, and there's some people that are definitely using their power to help and heal for sure. And thank God for that. Mm-hmm. But there's, there's definitely some people that are using it for divisiveness and, and, and harm without a doubt. And it's been that way since the beginning of time, unfortunately. Yeah. What do you think about the, like us moving forward, I, I know a lot of a lot of people on the path or are, are feeling it. I've talked to a lot of intuitive people, like we talked about earlier in the show, that do see these subtle realms that are connected to a little bit more angelic beings in a wider range of reality that are saying there is this collective uh, awakening happening. There is this raising of vibration, um, that something is happening on planet Earth that is shifting humanity in a pretty profound way. And I think that's why we're seeing a lot of these, um, you know, these, 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 a lot of fear and a lot of situations coming up, like, you know, the pandemic, obviously, and there's a lot coming out about that as well. But what do you think about like moving forward? Is, is it, is that part of the journey? Is there going to be this collective vibration? Is it going to kind of like, what are your beliefs around that? Yeah, I, I, you know, I get to talk to people, you know, every single day of every walk of life. So it's not just, you know, people that are intuitive and connected. I'm lucky to, to, to talk to many people that are definitely connected in that way that are feeling a, a energetic change and a shift in the vibration. But I also get to talk to the, the people that are, you know, dealing with great fear from the divisiveness in the country and the divisiveness in the, the, just the opinions of the pandemic, you know, um, you know, so I get to, I get to see it. I get to see the tremendous amount of fear around that. I'm hoping I'm very, very hopeful that there is a, a, a shift. I'm definitely seeing more people with a, a greater sense of awareness that what's going on is not good, that what's going on needs to change. Uh, that the status quo is not working anymore and that something has to happen in order for us to to grow as a, a nation and, and as a world. And I'm seeing that just, just with, again, discussing this with from everyday people to people that are very spiritually aware. So I'm very hopeful that there is, you know, a, a positive change coming. I... But at the same time, you know, again, we, we talked about, you know, 
not being able to even buy guns because they're all sold out. So how that change, <laughs> how that change is going to come? Is it going to come through fear, or is it going to come through through love? I I, I don't know. I think the uh, I think it's going to be an interesting, you know, I would say four to six months. What's 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 coming up here? Yeah. Wow. You know, it's interesting. Yeah, because like I mean, when obviously. The people I try to surround myself are a little bit more, you know, self-aware. They are a little bit more positive. But then you look at stuff like that and there is these, there's a lot of fear out there. And that's probably the majority of it. The majority of my experience is not like that. But the majority of the world's experience is definitely like that. So, yeah, it's going to be interesting. It's like, and there is this idea that in order for the phoenix to rise from the ashes, things have to burn down. So, yeah, um, we don't even know what burning down means, right? I mean, that just could just be a, yeah. met- a metaphor, also, right? I mean, I, don't, I hope it doesn't mean literally burned down. Um, <laughs> I hope, it- and I, I mean, I just have this vision of like a spontaneous awakening, too. Like, just like people just because I mean, people have spontaneous awakenings all the time, just like you talked about with your ego disillusion during earlier in the show. It's like, what if it's, you know, this, just this collective story, all of a sudden just boom, people everywhere, people in power just are like, holy shit, like we've been doing it all wrong. Like, let's, let's fix this. And we all come together. Like that could definitely happen. Right. You know, and you're talking about quantum physics and particles and waves and waves of infinite possibility that is within the realm of infinite possibility. So yeah, that could happen for sure. So, oh, man, I love so, you know, if we could collectively focus on that, you know, this some sort of awakening that what's going on and the divisiveness is is not going to to move things in in a in a great direction. Uh, then let's focus on that. You know, I'm all for focusing on that. The spontaneous, let's help and heal instead of uh, fighting and 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 taking up arms against each other. <laughs> well, potentially, you know. Listen, I'm all about conversation and learning. I, I mean, this is this this is what this is, right? Like, you know, this is quantum coffee is just getting people together to have these conversations about things that are so mysterious and 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 great and vast and awe inspiring that you know we really don't know. Like, we really don't know, and we nobody knows. So let's have these conversations around these 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 things. And I think, you know, what we're not having is these conversations, and everybody's holding this onto their own personal belief systems instead of trying to understand the other side and where they're coming from. Because I think in the end, once you understand people and once you understand where another person's coming from, you're like, yeah, I kind of want the same thing. Like, how do we, how do we achieve that? How how do we get there? Like, let's, let's, let's do it. You know, we want peace. You want peace. I want peace. Let's do it. Let's get there. And I, I just, I, I'm, I'm hopeful at some point, people are going to be like, what the hell are we doing? Like, let's just have a conversation, you know? And I think, you know, podcasts like like this, and there's just so many others that are out there that are having these conversations, and it's more and more and more and more, and it's more kind of available to, to everybody in the world to tune into something like this and listen to these conversations. And say, yeah, maybe we're doing something wrong. Maybe, and listen, I, I'm I, I teach uh, at NYU and I teach in an international program, so my students are from all over the world, right? 
uh, I've had students from everywhere, from Dubai and France and Spain and Thailand and the Philippines and Peru and Ecuador and Guatemala and, you know, so many different countries. And I've traveled a lot and so have you. We're all just humans having this experience and we all, we're all just people and you have conversations and you have laughs and you, I just don't get it. I just don't get it. This doesn't, I can't wrap my head around it, Joe, sometimes how we let our belief systems get in the way of our humanity. Yeah. That's what I'm trying to make sense of and keep coming back to compassion and love. Yeah. And conversation like you said earlier throughout the show, just understanding, trying to understand. But yeah, some of it is hard to understand. It really is. Yeah. And I understand there's complexities of global economic structures like that are, you know, past what, 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 what I know is going on. But, you know, at the same time, they have to have conversations too, you know? Mm. I don't know. You know, and they say, you know, let's get all the leaders of the world together and sit them in a ceremonial maloka, hand them a cup of ayahuasca, and you go through that shit together. And, like, then they're like, all right, we get it. <laughs> we, yeah. We get it. We're all connected. We're all connected. We all got our shit. We all want the same thing. Let's just work this out, you know? Yeah, that'd be a beautiful experience. Yeah. I mean, I feel like even I, I saw a quote from Tim Ferriss, who's, you know, on, you know, one of the most supportive kind of people who who, who got the, the public opinion about psychedelic plant medicine kind of shifting, which is really beautiful. But he's really connected, obviously, doing interviews and one of the original podcasters um, to a lot of really successful, really wealthy people. And he said some quote like, you know, the majority of billionaires that he knows work with psychedelic medicine. And I don't know whether that's in a microdosing protocol, which I think a lot of scientists come out about how that helps open up creativity and flow states. Um, so I don't know if it's just in that. And I guess that would be a completely different experience than going and drinking a, a cup of ayahuasca. So, you know, if they are, I mean, I guess they can still use these kind of modalities in an egocentric, greedy way, you know, and like, where's the line? I guess you just kind of got to blast them off to, you know, and it's fascinating. This just came to me is I went to a Soltara uh, in Costa Rica for my first ayahuasca retreat. And it was really beautiful. If anybody's looking to, uh, to, to dance with this medicine for the first time, they do a really good job of structuring it, but there's people there for all different reasons. Right. And a couple of them were just just psychonauts, right? They just they they explore the cosmos with all these different psychedelics, and you know, there's one thing eating a ton of mushrooms. There's another thing eating a ton of LSD, but there's something about ayahuasca that it, it's, it has its own awareness, right? Its own consciousness, its own. It is like this entity that works with you. It's not just a a thing that you know. It's it's a plant. It's a vine, and it was fascinating. In Saltara, they do, they structure their retreat with four ceremonies throughout the week on four different days with a day off in between. And, you know, by the end of it, just watching, we do integration circles. By the end of that, that experience, those psychonauts, they, that they went there just, they're like, 
you know, their egos wanted a little bit like, Hey, I've done this. I blasted off into the universe. And by the end of it, hearing that they've, they got exactly what they needed and they like, it humbled them. Mm. And I feel like when you really dance with a medicine like ayahuasca, it really, if you're, if you are attached to that ego, it does humble you. It does give you exactly what you need, the lessons that you need. So, yeah, I mean, I guess there's a difference between, you know, the, the, microdosing or using mushrooms and going in and down to the jungle in a ceremonial container with actual shamans who use the ikaros and the and the vibration of song and sound to guide you into a deeper experience yeah and literally guide the ceremony like it's uh it's i mean the first time i i experienced it you know when the the medicine kicked in and and I remember looking up and seeing all these huge, it's like you, it kicks in and you enter a different space. Like, it's like you become part of this ayahuasca space. It's no longer everyday reality. And a lot of times. It's literally a different dimension, it's, right? It's literally a different dimension. It's, it's, it's kind of wild. And I remember looking around the Maloka and seeing all these huge trees. And they were just whispering and talking to each other and they were pointing like at us, like, as if like, okay, you know, you're in our space now, you know, like this is, this is where we live, you know, almost like the, the spirit of the trees. And that's, and that's, uh, it's, it's, it's a different space. And when you experience it in the Amazon, I haven't experienced it outside the Amazon, only in the Amazon, you know, it, you're experiencing the tradition of the people of the Amazon also. So whatever they're, they're, uh, tradition story of the the plant medicine is uh yeah it's it's this crazy amazing dimension that you enter where the shamans are singing these songs and guiding the experience and the 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 medicine is interacting with you and teaching you things and helping you cleanse past traumas and also sometimes spirits can come and talk to you and spirits of trees i've had i've seen egyptian spirits like of egyptian pharaohs and like it's it just yeah it's pretty uh it's it's a pretty incredible place and i've never seen those types of things on a lot of other medicines you know what would you say to the the skeptical people who have not experienced that that maybe it's just i mean i guess we really don't know if it's just your own psyche your own images or it is this other awareness, like conscious kind of plant. I mean, because I feel like ever since I've done it, I, I, I understand. Like there's such a connection to the earth and to plants and the intelligence of plants. And, you know, the people that first discovered this medicine, I mean, I don't know a lot about the history of it, but tens of thousands of years ago in the Amazon, these you know, these, these, uh, these indigenous people, uh, they found out that this vine ayahuasca is this kind of medicine that can work with the humans. And you go down there and, you know, even when I went on my, my hike of Machu Picchu down in Peru, like the guy that, that was our guide, like we would walk by plants and he would know all these different plants that we just walked by and the medicinal purposes. So these indigenous tribes, even more so that live in the jungle, they understand that the plants are intelligent and they have different properties that can help us 
And it's like a whole pharmacy right in their own backyard of, of how they interacted with the world. And they found this one that can help heal kind of the psychological parts. And I don't know where I'm going with this, <laughs> but I guess it was, I was asking like, what about the people that are, are skeptical? And like, they, they would say, oh, you're just going to do drugs. There's no actual work. And I, I deal with this. I actually had a conversation with my mom the other day because, you know, I had a lot of resistance to talking about my journey with psychedelic plant medicines because there is this, this idea and this story that I have an image, right? And I don't want people to look at me different. And what I realized on a deeper level of that story was I didn't really care what other people thought. I cared about what my parents thought. And I knew that they weren't welcoming and accepting of this. And once I worked through that story... I realized that my experience with this medicine has been so powerful and impactful. It's just, it would be a shame for me not to share that and share my own medicine with the world. And it has been a slow process, but now I've started coming out and talking more openly about it because it is who I am. And I'm, I'm working on becoming fully embodied in my truth and my experience and understand that my experience is totally valid just as everybody else's experience is valid. But my mom listened to a podcast I was on and I, I shared a little bit about plant medicines and how they, the rise of the use of plant medicines, I feel like is happening in this time, excuse me, as an opportunity to heal the world and heal the collective. And that's why these plants are becoming more available and they're kind of showing up and it's the consciousness of the plants are like here to help us. But I had this conversation with my mom where she was really worried about me, you know, obviously and it's, this is fascinating that the story of our society that put on these plant medicines that come from nature are doing drugs, but it's perfectly fine to be prescribed drugs from a doctor that were made in a lab. And since they were prescribed, they, those aren't drugs and they're okay in this story. And she was sharing how she was, she was worried about me. She doesn't need drugs to heal, which is totally valid. Like, you know, you go through your experiences that, that teach you. And there's sometimes there's a lot of hard experiences that we go through and, and those create a lot of grief in us. But what they do when you go through that grief and you process it properly, you come out the other side, a stronger person, and you know who you are on a deeper level. And that's very healing. And you don't need plants to access that healing. But when you can access, there's a lot of deeper unconscious stuff that we hold in our, our body the soma, the somatic response. And there's a lot of science behind how we hold this trauma in our body. And what these plants do as well is help you process that, that physical trauma that you hold onto your body. And, and they call that purging in a ayahuasca ceremony, which if you haven't experienced it, it's kind of an intense word. And sometimes it does lead to throwing up. But for me, I mean, I've done nine ceremonies and I've, I haven't thrown up, but I've, I've, I've shaken, my body has shaken and it's just, it's the energy releasing. And it's fascinating if you connect that with like a dog, like my dog freedom, if, if she does something or like, you know, chases a squirrel and like hits the fence, she immediately, what she does is she shakes it off. And it's like this intuitive thing that nature has that we shake off this energy rather than holding on to it. But us as humans, if something traumatic happens to us, we, we don't know how to process that physical energy in our body and it hangs on. And that's actually what leads to physical disease. Um, so what I was getting at is my mom thinking or saying that she's worried, you know, I'm just going and doing drugs and, you know, it, I don't, it's these, this labeling them as drugs and not having this, this view of them as actual medicine, like the indigenous used. So I guess kind of talk a little bit about that and how you can 
you know, share to people that might not be super open to this kind of work um, and kind of ease that understanding to them a little bit from your experience. Yeah. And, you know, I just want to say that, to be honest with you, it's, it's not for everybody, you know, mm. and I'm not, very good point, it's, yeah. it's, uh, it's a incredibly intense experience. It's an incredibly impactful experience. It's an incredibly life-changing experience and, and for many people, but it's, it, for that reason, it's not for everybody. And, you know, I only recommend people that are called, you know, or people that are interested, you know, and I don't try to force it down anybody's throat as far as you got to go to the Amazon and you have to, you have to do this. If you, you know, if you have an interest and you feel called, like I went, I had no choice. Like it was just, I had this calling and I had to go. Talk a bit about the calling and how that, how that happened. Like, what does that even mean? Yeah. Uh, so there was this article that came out in National Geographic Adventure Magazine probably in 2006, 2007. It was called something to the extent of To Hell and Back. It was about this, uh, this journalist who went down to, to uh, this center in, 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 in the jungle and had this incredible healing experience i think she went on two different occasions and then she wrote about it for, for national geographic it was the most terrifying experience uh, article i've ever read in my life it was you know what she went through was what you can say hellish that's why the title of it was the hell and back but i read that article and i i, I remember i it just it came to me almost synchronous uh, through synchronicity um just take a step back. I was uh, working in downtown Brooklyn in an office, and my patient had canceled. And my office was all the way in the back, away from the patient waiting room. And I usually never walked all the way to the front of the patient waiting room because it was just like a it was a long walk, and I just kind of like hung out in the back and read or something like that. For some reason, I walked up to the front, went into the waiting room, looked at the magazine, picked it up, brought it in the back, and read the article while I was waiting for my next patient. And I was like, holy shit. And I put that magazine in my bag. And I remember, you know, I, I went back and read my journals. And I remember writing that I'm going to do this. I'm going to the Amazon. I'm going to experience it. And literally, this never left my mind. Like, it, it was the first thing. Is, this is like 2007, 2008. So it was the first thing from what was in the collective, collective consciousness at the time, nobody was talking about it. Nobody was, not many people were doing it. I didn't know anybody that even knew, knew what it was. But for some reason, I knew I was going down to do it. And, you know, about a year later, I found myself booking a trip. And so that's what I mean by calling. It was just like I had no choice. Like the medicine was calling me. And, you know, next thing you know, and I'm on a plane by myself down to this country that, you know, I had no idea that I was ever going to visit in my life. And uh, making a trip into Iquitos, which was this wild, crazy town of, you know, a million people or more in uh, the middle of the Amazon and scared shit, you know, but it's like I had to do it. So it wasn't being a psychonaut. It wasn't being, it was just literally a calling. I read it and it just it didn't leave my consciousness. It was just, I have to go. And then even like ever since my first journey down there you know it was always never like wanting to go back it was always like all right 
I find myself it not leaving my mind, kind of penetrating my existence, and then booking a trip and going. And that's kind of how I, I, I was called to, to ayahuasca. Um, so, you know, some people's callings might not be that strong. You know, it just might be a whisper. It might be a friend talking about it. It just might be a, a, an interest. It might be, you know, something that just pops up. And you're like, yeah, hey, I'll give it a try. But uh, mine was, was super strong. It was like I have no choice and I had to go. And that first year, I think uh, 2008, 2009, I found myself, I went, I think, three times in a year. So, you know, and you know the intensity of the medicine experience, Joe, you've been there. And you don't know, you know that you don't just go down three times in a year if you're not called to do it, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, like that, that has brought up my my synchronistic moments of how I was called. So I'd, I'd like to share, yeah, yeah. share my journey. Um, I was traveling in, so the first time I ever heard about ayahuasca was my, I think of my, my last year playing football in 2017 one of my teammates, um, I think I was just listening to on a podcast or it had become mentioned and I don't know how it came up in this conversation, but one of my teammates mentioned how his dad actually went down to the jungle and drank ayahuasca. And he was telling, telling about the experience, how you, you know, I think I remember it was like you trip for, you know, hours. I think the medicine journeys usually last, last around six hours or the ceremonies do. Um, but I was like, oh man, that's intense. And I had just, you know, I had just had my first psychedelic experience probably a year or two before where I, you know, did mushrooms for the first time. And then I, you know, did, did LSD at a, at a festival. So I had the psychedelic experience and I had so much fear before I experienced those psychedelics. Cause I had always said like, bad, I thought I had this idea of bad trip. And when I experienced it, it really opened my mind and my world. And I was the first time like, okay, it's not so scary. It's just really profound. And it can be scary if you don't have the right set and setting, but I just had this really opening experience. And so it, it opened my mind to the the different things. And then ayahuasca, he was talking about how his dad went down there. Not, he, he said his dad drank a lot and he wasn't like labeled as an alcoholic, but he would just drink a lot. And he went down. And he, the one thing that sticks out to me is he went down to the jungle, drank ayahuasca, not with the intention of drinking is a problem, but he said, and he said, this is, I don't know, 20 years ago or something. And he said he never drank again. And to this day, he still hasn't had a drink. And the medicine just had that powerful impact on him. And I was like, wow, that's that's really crazy. But I don't know if I could ever do that. Like, that's intense. Like, I don't know if I want to see visions in different realms and like all the stuff he was sharing. But then fast forward, I traveled the country in my van in 2017. For those of you that know my story, I gave everything away after retiring from the NFL. And I, I traveled traveled the country in a van and after eight months of traveling, I went back to uh, Tampa for the winter and I spent a couple months there before I was going to hit the road again in my new van. And while I was there, I uh, started deepening my yoga practice and I started going into this studio. And there is this girl that was the, at the front desk of this studio and she worked only on Monday mornings from like six to eight. And I would go to this 6 a.m. yoga class like almost every day. It was when I really started focusing on yoga to to get my body back after all the physical damage I caused from football. And one day this girl just, we kind of connected and, and, um, she was like, you know, I guess she like felt my energy and she was just like, you know, I'm, um, I'm doing this book club and 
we just people from the studio kind of come together and we just talk about books and I'm and she was the one that was hosting it. It was her first one and she invited me to it. And I was like, okay, I'd love to go. I, I love reading. This is awesome. Plus she was really cute. And um, <laughs> so I was like, of course. So I go to this book club and and just the way she was talking about books and kind of the spiritual stuff it was the first time, not the first time, but it was like really, I connected with her. I was like, oh my gosh, we have so much to talk about because I don't really have anybody to talk about this stuff with. I mean, since then, I've obviously met a lot of people like yourself that we've been able to connect on these deeper levels, but that experience was so amazing. And so we went on a couple of dates, had some coffee and, you know, I started sharing, um, I was getting more into Aubrey Marcus at the time. And he obviously is very open about his ayahuasca experiences. So I started becoming more familiar with it. And she had shared, oh, yeah, my friend just went down to Soltara um, like four months ago, and she wants to go again. And I w- I've been wanting to work with that medicine. And I want to go. And she invited me. And I don't even really know this girl, but she invited me out of nowhere. And I was like, yeah. And that was like my calling. It was like this synchronistic. And she's like, yeah. And it was this access point where I could go with someone. I mean, you're, you're crazy. You, you went down and just felt the calling and bought the ticket, went down by yourself. But it was like the universe was like, okay, we're going to support you. There's this calling. And I just felt it in my bones. Like, this is, this is it. This is something that I need to do. And so we ended up booking the trip and I was able to go down with her and her friends. And I know that that connection I had with her was for that experience that the medicine uses these magical different ways to call you. And so if you're questioning, if you're listening to this and you're questioning whether you have a calling, it's, it's, it's almost a knowing that the medicine, if, if it wants to work with you, it will, it will let you know. And it definitely let me know. And, and I've, I've gone and done three different retreats, nine different ceremonies at this time. And yeah, every single time has been exactly, you know, it's provided the lessons exactly what I needed in those moments. And it's, it's really beautiful the way it works like that. Yeah, it's interesting. Like I, like you said, I was crazy to go down by myself um, yeah. back then, but it, it was just such a strong force that was working inside me that as as you know, as scary as it was, and it was you know, it was scary. Um, you know, because how many times have you have you have you sat with ayahuasca? Uh, Forty. I've done 40 ceremonies over the years and the last time was in 2015. So, mm. and you just haven't felt called since, right? You've, you've, you kind of got, got what you needed out of it. Yeah. Kind of it, 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 it actually told me that I don't need to go. I need, I don't need it anymore. You know, mm. my last round of ceremonies, it, it, it was basically, all right. Yeah. You know, you don't need to come down here anymore. You know, and, 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 kind of the message that I got was, you know, I might want to, I might come down, but it's just that part of my journey was technically over. So the healing that needed to be done and, and the lessons that needed to be taught at that time through ayahuasca, like had been completed. Not that there weren't any mm. potential lessons in the future, but like that, that moment was, was over. So I don't know what's going to happen. You know, I mean, I know I was in call called very intensely for, you know, a number of years and then it stopped, but who knows, right? We don't know. I mean, I, I, I tell you all the time that I miss the space. Like I miss, mm-hmm. you know, I miss the ceremony. I miss the Icaros. I miss, I miss the medicine. I like, it was like, you know, as, you know, scary as it was sometimes going into ceremony and because, 
you know, even having done a number of ceremonies, you still don't know what's going to happen. I mean, you, you, mm-hmm. you, you know, you're going to, to a certain degree, you can handle what's being thrown at you. Right. And that you could live through the ceremony in the beginning. It's like, I don't want to die. Right. Like I just want, just want to survive the ceremony. Then you get on the other end. You're like, all right, I lived, you know, and then you get through another one. You're like, all right, I survived this one too. And then you kind of get to, to learn how to work with the ceremonies and work with the spirits and work with the medicine. But it doesn't mean that it's easy. Right. Mm. And it doesn't mean that sometimes you always go back for more. Right. That's one thing I realized in my first, my first retreat at Soltara, there was, we did four ceremonies. We did one Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday. And there was people, like I said, from all different walks of life going there for all different reasons. Some people just trying to reach higher states of consciousness and awareness. They just want to connect maybe with their ancestors or maybe heal some grief that they're dealing with. There was, you know, this, I remember there's this old woman that was in her sixties or seventies and, and she was there and, and she had a really rough first ceremony and it was really hard on her, really physically draining. And she like didn't come out of her room the entire time. But every single time the ceremony came around, she showed back up. Mm. And it, like I'm, I'm kind of vibrating right now just saying it. It's like when you're in it, it it's so powerful and so strong. But you always come back. And you always go and sit down because it is such a profound experience and it leads to so much healing that, you know, and it's, it's kind of such a, a, you know, a microcosm of life, right? Like, I don't believe the universe gives us anything that we're not able to handle. And some people are given, you know, a, a really tough hand, they're dealt a really tough hand to deal with. And, but they, they come out learning the lessons, you know, stronger than they were before. And I, I truly believe that the universe doesn't give us anything that we can't handle. And it gives us exactly what we need in the moment that we're in. And as we grow and get stronger, that some of those lessons might become more challenging, but we're, we're given exactly what we need in the moment that we stand in. Yeah. And in the ceremonies too. And you know, that's why that when you go through these ceremonies with, with people, you know, it creates this camaraderie because you're like almost like warriors going in there together, knowing what you're going to be facing. Warriors, you know, and every, yes, every, warriors. Everybody's going to be facing their own thing, you know. And sometimes mm-hmm. you have uh, experiences that overlap. You know, sometimes you see the same things, uh, but in the end, it's you and the medicine, right? It's your consciousness plus the medicine. And everybody's has different awareness, different experiences, different backgrounds. So everybody's experience is going to be, you know, different in that way. So you know that everybody's going in there to face their shit, right? And mm. you got to respect that. And, and you're talking about some, even some of the older people. And, and I've had the, the same experience with uh, some, you know, older people that, I've gone into ceremony with many times. I, I think of one in particular, he was, uh, you know, retired, uh, from Ohio. And, you know, I, I probably did about at least 10 ceremonies with him. And he went in like a warrior every time, man, every time. He, I remember towards the end of the ceremonies, like after the sermon was over, I would, I would always help him like go to get to the bathroom and help him like, you know, walk because he was, he was old, you know, he, he had difficulty, but 
man, so much respect for, for him to go in there night after night. And, and I went at uh, Blue Morpho and, and, and uh, outside of Quito's and, uh, you know, we did five ceremonies in a week, you know, I think we did three, then take a night off and then two. And, uh, to see everybody go in there and man up and woman up and face their, uh, face their fears. It's just, it creates this bond, you know, it's such a, a mm. wonderful, beautiful thing. And with the, with, also with the shamans for, and, and the, for facilitating the ceremonies and the helpers that are there helping people. I mean, this is a, this is a calling, you know, mm. and it's uh it's really a beautiful thing. And that's kind of what I miss most is just that, that camaraderie uh, that you feel going into ceremony together and getting into that space together. It was a, it's kind of a beautiful thing. Yeah. And feeling such a deep gratitude for the, you know, I know, uh, what's his name? Matt. Matt was one of the, yeah. the first facilitators. This is actually a cool synchronistic connection. Actually, the, one of the facilitators for my first retreat was actually a good buddy of yours that you actually first started drinking medicine with, uh, you know, over 10 years prior. Yeah. yeah. And then we, I mentioned that to you when I, after my first ceremony and you were like, Oh my gosh, Matt, we, I showed you a picture. You're like, Oh my God, that's my buddy. And it's really cool that when you work with this medicine, there is like this interweb of connection that we just can't even comprehend. But I remember sitting in my first couple of ceremonies during that retreat and having such a profound gratitude because his story is really wild, how he was called not just to go drink the medicine, but to go work with the medicine and to, to have the courage to answer that call and really leave behind this, this material world for this deeper calling of helping people heal on such a deep visceral level and the sacrifice that that takes to to go down there and, and trust that this is what you're meant to do. And I remember sitting in my ceremony and, and just looking at these facilitators and the shamans and the medicine people and just having such a deep, profound gratitude and seeing them as the the healers that they are. And it's not, you know, we have like in our Western society, these doctors who are amazing, who most have a heart of service to try and help heal people. But when I was sitting in that first ceremony, it's like, this is so much bigger. This is like this cosmic, I almost, I almost likened it to like a a cosmic hospital that is there to heal our souls on a deep level and heal karma, not only from this life, from, but from past lives and, and collective collective energetic traumas that we've all kind of inherited from the society that we live in. And the way that these, you know, true warriors and medicine people show up to something greater than themselves and answer this call. It's just, it's so profound. It just gets me so emotional to, to, to witness them in their beauty and their, in their sacrifice for not only humanity, but for the universe. I love that cosmic hospital. It felt like that sometimes, mm. you know, it, it felt, you know, yeah. it, it was everybody going in and just healing and helping and laughing and crying and puking. And, and then you have all these, <laughs> and then you have all these people there that, that, to help and keep the space safe for the, for, and, and for all this to, to kind of happen. And it's really, you know, I ask the ceremony is like, it's life, right. But it's life sped up. A million times 
it's like, you know, like you come back into normal reality and everything is kind of like slows down. It's just, mm, yeah. but you go into ayahuasca and it's just like so sped up and intense and, int- and it's just coming at you and it's so fast and quick and it's just it's all happening. And then it's just, I don't even know what it is. I don't know what yeah, it is. Still don't know. That's, that's what Matt, Matt, the first, before I even sat with medicine, they did a really well done orientation for like three hours before our first ceremony. I remember Matt saying, you know, we had a little share circle and he's like, so who here knows what ayahuasca is? And you know, someone would say, oh, it's a psychedelic. He's like, yeah, it's that. And he's like, oh, it's, it's a way to heal. Yeah, it's that. Oh, you go in, you see dragons and monsters. Yeah, yeah, it's that. Like, and then he, we kind of like all said our thing of what we thought it was. And he goes, I've drinking and sat with ayahuasca over 500 times. And I still don't know what it is. <laughs> it's, it's, it's just, it's ineffable every single time. I mean, he's done over 500 ceremonies. He says every single time I go in, it's a different experience. And that's what we talked about earlier. It's like this, it is this consciousness that gives you what you need in the moment. And another thing that he said that really st- stuck, stuck home with me was, you know, all the work that he's done and all the medicine he's drank and all the people he's helped. He's like, I'm still integrating my very first ayahuasca ceremony <laughs> so because I. it was so profound. <laughs> I yeah, am too. And I, 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 me too. Remember, remember when I called you and I was like, Dr. Mike, I came back from my ceremony. Cause I, I mean, we can get into this on another call, like our actual journeys. That would be really cool. I'm pretty sure people would love that. But I remember I had trouble really connecting with the medicine and really surrendering. And it wasn't until my very final ceremony on the Friday, the fourth one, where I really connected with the medicine and connected with this oneness and saw the inner web of reality and how everything's connected. And it was such a beautiful connection. But up to that point, and I, I remember coming back and calling you, and I know you'll remember this. I was like, man, Dr. Mike, like the only lessons it gave me was, was be patient and surrender. <laughs> and you're like, Joe, like that's the only lessons you learned was patience and surrender. It's like, that's all you need to learn. And like, <laughs> even to this day, it's like everything, every time I get stressed, every time something comes up in my life, it's like patience, surrender. It's like, and I know that's just such a profound lesson. The most profound lesson. <laughs> You've had the most <laughs> profound experience that anybody in the world could possibly have on ayahuasca. <laughs> and you're saying that's it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I know. I mean, I re- I'm so grateful for you, dude. I remember. I actually remember that exact call. I was driving in my car, you know, and I had you on like uh, on speaker, and I was just like, "That's it. That's fucking fantastic." <laughs> I know. <laughs> uh, I'm so grateful for you, man. Seriously, you're so amazing, and and I know this this conversation is going to have. This is really amazing. I'm really glad we we were able to to dive deep on a bunch of different topics. I know it's going to have a lot of. Uh, profound impact on those that listen. Um, and I really appreciate it. I'm already looking forward to the next time we get to have one of these, we'll maybe dive in deeper into the actual experiences that we've had and the healings that we've had in ceremony. But, uh, we are getting long and I have another call coming up. So we are, we, we, we are getting long. I think we've gone long. We've gone long, but I want to have these longer content episodes, especially with you because I mean, this is where this is where quantum coffee all started. I mean, for anybody listening that's lasted this long, we we have these conversations probably weekly, but at least every other week, if not weekly. And sometimes we record them, sometimes we don't. But they're always like this. And I'm really glad that we decided to press the record button today because this conversation was really epic. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it all started over a cup of coffee <laughs> last year. And, you know, when Joe was living in my driveway, he would come up every morning before I would go to work and we would sit and have the coolest conversations over a cup of coffee. And, uh, yeah, that's the, the, uh, the initiative, the impulse that started Quantum Coffee. I think you came up with the cold quantum coffee thing too, but it was just some amazing, amazing conversations that, and they're all different too. It's never like we have the same conversation twice. They're all like, who the fuck? I don't know where they're going to lead. It's stone. It's just into realms of the un- unknown, but the best yeah, conversation. Just exploring these deeper, exploring these deeper questions and having an open conversation. And it's just, it's nice to talk to somebody who's not attached to anything and understands that what we really know is absolutely nothing. And just discussing what it all could mean is a, is a really beautiful experience. And, and that's my whole, you know, intention behind this, this podcast is to, to help people realize that we don't really know much about the nature of reality. We can discuss these things openly and understand that we are all a lot more alike than we are different. And we are all in this together. We're all in it together. All right, Joe. Love you, brother. I really appreciate you taking the time. Absolutely. I'll talk to you soon. Gratitude for the sunrise. Gratitude for the sunshine. Gratitude for the moonlight. Every day feels like a new life. All right. I hope you guys enjoyed that episode as much as I did. Um, I'm probably going to go back and listen to it a couple times because there's so much value in there. Um, Dr. Mike, thank you again. My man, really appreciate you. Uh, we're going to continue to have a Dr. Mike on as a regular. I would love to hear what y'all think. Uh, we just have so much, so much stuff to talk about and just keep going deeper. And I want you guys to know we have these conversations all the time and not one of them is ever the same. Um, we just have so much to explore in this universe. You know, both of us realize that the more we learn, the more we don't know, the more we realize we don't know. And, you know, when you continue to have these conversations with open-minded people, it really can expand your horizons in a lot of beautiful ways. And that's kind of my intention behind this podcast. So I really appreciate you guys taking the time and sticking in there for that long episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, if you don't go ahead and follow me on Instagram at joe.holly. Um, the link in my bio has all the cool stuff I'm working on. Um, I put out a weekly newsletter and I've got two podcasts as well. Um, just launched life beyond the game. Um, by the time this episode comes out, I guess it'll be a few episodes in. Um, but that podcast, I focus on bringing on former professional athletes to share their stories through the transition process. Uh, the first episode of that podcast is actually share a little bit about my own story. So those of you that follow me um, since traveling in the van and you want to know a little bit more about my journey through the NFL, it's a great episode to listen to. Um, if there's any guests that you guys would like to hear on this podcast or that podcast, make sure you reach out to me on Instagram or shoot me an email at joe.mvdb at gmail.com. And I'd love to hear from all of you. Any feedback? And also... Um, Yeah, if you love this podcast, it would go a long way in helping promote it. If you could share it with a friend or simply rate it and review it on wherever you listen to your podcasts, I really appreciate you taking the time once again, sending all the love and light out there.